in your Bibles in Romans chapter 2. Our passage today is Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 29. That's the end of the chapter. Now, uh, because of our nation's history, whenever we talk about race relations, it's usually in terms of black and white, those of African descent and those of European descent. And so sometimes you might hear someone, uh, some folks who are Hispanic or uh, Asian, Native American saying, you know, hey, like we're, we're out here too. Uh, there's a lot more going on today than just, you know, black and white issues. Uh, back in the time the New Testament was written, there was also a wide range of ethnic diversity in the Roman Empire. But among the Jews, because of their history and particularly because of their religion, the basic ethnic divide was not black and white. It was Jew and Gentile. In other words, Jews and everyone else. And that divide became a pretty big issue uh, for the first followers of Jesus, who early on were mostly Jews, almost entirely Jews, and then included more and more Gentiles as the years went on. This created tension in the, the first generation of the church, in the early church. And so, you can read through the New Testament, several New Testament books, including Romans, address the question, how could Jew and Gentile be united in Christ? And you might think, well, hey, uh, you know, there's a lot more going on today than just Jew and Gentile. True. But even though there are few, if any, Jews here in the room this morning, uh, we still have uh, an issue here that we need to understand. What Paul has to say uh, to them, Jews, in, those, in his day, speaks to all of us today. Uh, in the early part of Romans, the big question has to do with final judgment. As we said last week, if God's judgment is based on our behavior, what hope do we have? This week, Paul continues to pull the rug out from under us to remove any notion of self-righteousness so that we fall on the grace of God. Here's the theme sentence for our sermon today. Knowing God's law is not enough, you need His Spirit to change you. So, our passage, as I said, is Romans 2, 12 to 29, but I'm going to back up one paragraph to verse uh, 6 to get us some important context. So, Romans 2, verse, beginning with verse 6, and then reading on through the rest of the chapter. Speaking of God, He, the Lord, will render to each one according to His works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but uh, keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and, and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is God's Word, and that's a mouthful. I know that's a, that was a, whoa, that's a lot to take in. We're going to see if we can help you out. Remember the, our theme here, knowing God's law is not enough. You need His Spirit to change you. We're going to handle this text in four parts. Here's part one. Reaching back for a phrase from uh, verse 6, judgment according to works before the judge, God, obeying the law is better than simply knowing the law. So to recap what we looked at last week in uh, verses 6 to 11, God's judgment is based on what you do, not who you are. That's a big deal if you had been counting on your Jewish identity to, as, a, as some sort of pass when you get to judgment day. No, Paul says it's according to works. Judgment is according to works. God shows no partiality between Jew and Greek, and Greek in that, uh, in that paragraph is not uh, as distinct from, say, Roman or Spanish or whatever. It's just another way to say Gentile in the context here. And then if uh, our passage of verses 12 and 13 continue that comparison between Jew and Gentile, is every human uh, will be judged according to works. It doesn't, God's not partial to Jew or Gentile. If we continue that same comparison between Jew and Gentile, then the law in question here in 12 and 13 would not be Roman law, just the, the, you know, the traffic laws, the tax laws, it, not, not their Roman law code. Rather, this would be God's law that he's talking about. And, and sometimes he, he seems to refer more specifically to the law of Moses, that is the law from God given through Moses to Israel at Sinai, uh, recorded in the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. But, but not always, as we'll see. I mean, he, if it, it, it's, it's a more flexible, it's a broader term than that as he uses it here in 
this section. So that mean, all that means that those without the law, when he talks about those without the law, that refers to the Gentiles. Those under the law, those who later hearers of the law, refer to the Jews. But the big idea is that it doesn't make any difference at the final judgment because whether or not they had the law of Moses, all will be judged because all who have sinned will be judged. So listen to verses 12 and 13 Again, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So having, hearing the law makes no difference at the final judgment. It's what you do. Do you obey? Now, at this point, if you're a longtime Christian, you're familiar with the Bible, you know how the book of Romans, uh, where it goes and how it ends, I mean, you're, you're mentally going in one of two directions, I think. Uh, one, one group might be uh, troubled because these verses sound like, wait a minute, so be good, obey the law, and you pass the judgment? I don't think that's how it, it works. I don't think that's, that's, that, that's what the, the bigger picture is. Okay, that's, this is what we mentioned last week when we're looking at verses 6 through 11. In principle, in principle, that's important, or we said this is something of a hypothetical scenario. In principle, uh, if doing wrong is what brings God's wrath at the judgment, well, then doing right would bring a declaration of righteousness from the judge. The judge will will look at you and say, uh, they're not uh, wicked, they are righteous, they're not guilty, they are innocent. If, If you did right, if you obeyed the law in every way. In principle, that is true. In practice, it doesn't work. It never happens because remember where Paul is taking us, if you know Romans, Paul is going to get us to Romans 3, next, next chapter, next week, all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. So nobody, in principle, do right, you'll be fine. In practice, uh, nobody, nobody's righteous. Nobody's going to make it. So, but there's another direction. So, so that uh, addresses one idea if you're sitting here thinking, wait, wait a minute, that, is, it, is this what he really means? Uh, but there's another direction you might take in hearing this as a Christian, that it's not, doesn't matter hearing, having the law, hearing the law. It's about what you do. That's what matters at the judgment. Another direction you might go is like, oh, wait, wait a minute, uh, obeying God's law is, is not for us as, as Christians. I mean, we're saved by grace. And that is absolutely true. It's true that we are not under the law of Moses as the Jews were. And it's true that we will not inherit eternal life uh, based on our obedience. But this is really important. We are no less obligated to obey God because he's God, right? Because he is the, as we said uh, last week, he is the author of creation, and therefore he is the authority. He is the moral authority in the moral universe that he created that you and I live in. It's God's world, and we're just living in it, right? So, he is, so we still have the obligation to obey, even if that's not going to be the basis for our salvation. A, Christ, a Christian, to put it another way, a Christian is someone who has submitted his or her life to Christ. And this is what Jesus expects. You think of the the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. uh, Make disciples, and he says, teach them to observe or to keep, the word there, to keep all that I've commanded you, to keep the commandments. Or, Or remember this from the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, when Jesus used the illustration of the the build, the two builders. 
He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, hearing and doing, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, hearing but not doing, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Hearing is not enough. There must be doing if you don't want, to collapse, if you don't want your house to fall in the storm. And this is why another passage that, I'm, that many of you probably already thought of, what about, what about James, right? This is why James teaches this to Christians from James 1, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then a couple of verses later, but the one who looks at, into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being, a, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's for Christians, not just hearers, but doers, and that's the way to blessing. We should be doers and hearers, as James puts it, of the perfect law, the law of liberty, not the law that enslaves, but the law that gives life freely following God's word, obeying Christ's commands in a spirit of love, out of gratitude and thanks for his grace, acknowledging his authority, but knowing him as a loving authority. He's our father. Authority, yes, but loving relationship. Now, we'll see when we get there, and it's a long way away, Romans 12 and 13, that's a long way away right now, but it, it, we'll see there what it looks like for a Christian to, what Paul says, you can fulfill the law through love. Here in chapter 2, sorry, we're not to the good stuff yet. Uh, this, is, this is about more final judgment. Uh, before the judge, obeying the law is better than simply knowing the law. So just hear me at this point. If you're tempted to set aside the need for obedience too quickly, either because you're, you know, because you're a, a Jew who has the law or more likely here, a Christian who just doesn't think, you, I, don't, I, know, I know, don't need obedience to be saved, so I'll just chuck obedience. Like, no, whoa, no, 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 not so fast. You won't appreciate the gospel if you don't understand why you need Jesus, why he had to die. If you don't know that apart from Christ, your sins bring condemnation. Are you going to, as we said last week, are you ready to stand on your record before the judge? Okay, so we're walking, we're following Paul here, but if having or not having the law doesn't matter, only doing, whether you do the law, whether you obey the law or not, that's what matters. How would someone who doesn't have the law possibly do it? Well, now we're ready for part two that focuses on the Gentiles. This is part two in the Outline natural law. Those without God's law, the law of Moses, the law of Scripture, know enough to do right some of the time. Now, that doesn't seem very dramatic or exciting, but let, let just re- read what's, what he's saying here. Verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, again, that's the law of Moses, the law that we find in Scripture, by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus." Now, this is yet another section where we're going to have to 
Whew, deep breath, and we're going to have to read very carefully because you could read this in a way and think that Paul is coming off verse 13. Well, it's, it's not the hearers, it's the doers of the law that will be justified, will be found righteous before God at the judgment. And then saying verse 14, and well, the Gentiles are the doers of the law who apparently will be justified at the judgment. No, no, like, nope, that's not, whole, that's not the whole picture. The first line of verse 12 also applies to the Gentiles. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as I continue to remind you, chapter 3 concludes, all have sinned, Jew and Gentile. Uh, so keeping the bigger picture in mind, Paul is not saying, well, Gentiles are going to be justified while the Jews are going to be condemned. Rather, he is building the case against the mistaken Jewish notion, well, we have the law, so we have nothing to fear at the final judgment. Well, okay, doing is better than hearing, and some Gentiles who don't even have the law can still obey it some of the time. How, how can they do that? Verse 14, by nature. This seems to parallel chapter 1. Do you remember that? I know it's been a few weeks back, but chapter 1 where humankind knows about God through creation, but they're suppressing that truth. They, they still have that knowledge deep down, but they're suppressing it, which is why they are without excuse when they come before the judgment. They can't say, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a, a God. Like, look, look around you. you. You know. You see. You know. Here in and then, well, I should say also in chapter 1, and then, teased out from that, they go against their nature as human beings in all kinds of immorality. Here in chapter 2, humankind knows a basic morality, right and wrong, even if they weren't there uh, when Moses received the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. So when it says by nature, it's not referring to creation, looking at mountains and, and oceans and trees and birds. Rather, this is the God-given nature of the person which they, which they have defied in some of their sexual immorality. Verse 15, the work of the law is written on their hearts. They have a, and they have a conscience, it says, that, that may include a, a certain intuition or a, or a common sense, uh, a capability uh, in their God-given rationality to know what's right. And you can go through the Bible and you can see various examples of people who we, would, we could call non-believers who did have a sense of right and wrong. Just a, a few examples real quick. So, uh, book of Genesis and uh, King Abimelech. If you don't remember who that guy is, this is when, one of the times when Abraham and Sarah uh, are going to another uh, land and Abraham's afraid because, you know, those people are, you know, wicked, ungodly people. Um, I better, they probably try to take my wife from me because she's so beautiful. I'll just tell this half-truth. She's not my wife. She's my sister, and that'll cover it. And and yet, it's, it's King Abimelech, the, the ungodly, immoral king whose who's challenges, rebukes Abraham for saying, you almost got us all in trouble doing this great sin. And, and, a non-believer knowing right and wrong in some ways better than the, the uh, covenant member, Abraham. Uh, or, or think of the story of Jonah. Jonah, God's Hebrew prophet, running from God, and it's those pagan sailors in the boat who are like, oh, Wait a minute, it, it's, it, it would be wrong for us to throw you overboard. God forgive us for, for doing, you know, for, for, we, we don't want to do it unless we have to, but even though that would have stopped the storm. 
They had a sense that of the wrongness of throwing Jonah overboard. Or, or one final example, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians 5.1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you believers and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. I mean, all, all the crazy stuff going on and they, even they have their limits. Like, oh no, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw this something of this uh, combination of God-rejecting immorality and uh, a God-given sense of morality in a, in a recent movie. Movie itself doesn't matter, but, you know, it's, it's February, um, so Valentine's Day month, a lot of romantic comedies going on, and, and this was a lighthearted movie from several years ago. Nothing, you know, nothing steamy or graphic, you know, in terms of the romance, and yet it was clearly implied, not, didn't show anything, clearly implied that, that sex need not be reserved for marriage. And if you say, well, that's why I don't watch movies. Well, I, would, I, can, I wouldn't argue with you that there's some wisdom there. My point is, though, that in this very same movie, they condemned a, a side character as a villain because all he wanted was a one-night affair while it celebrated those who chose a, the lasting relationship of marriage. And that was the big, the, the big finish at the end of the movie, the big celebration. Condemning the guy that wanted the one night stand, celebrating those who pursued marriage. And yet, at the same time, we're, we're not, was assuming that, well, you know, sex doesn't have to be reserved for marriage. Now, isn't that interesting? How people can ignore God's word, clearly reject his law in some ways, and yet show in other ways that they want what's right. They, they have an instinct for it. They, they can see some of the, the benefits, the blessings of doing right. Folks, be thankful for that. I mean, that, that, that is, I know it's confusing because it's, it makes it hard to say, well, wait, is it, are these good guys or bad guys? Who, who's, who's right and who's wrong? If, if they, some things they get right and some things they get wrong. Folks, be thankful for that. What I mean by this, yes, there is some really bad stuff, really, there, there is wickedness and we shouldn't be afraid to name it as such in our world. But it's not nearly as bad as it could be if people did what's wrong all the time, and in every way. Uh, that, that, and this is practical, too. Understanding that this concept of natural law is important in our society. We don't expect that everyone is a Christian by profession of faith. And yet we should be able to, to find some shared sense of morality. Sadly, more and more people in our culture are convinced that there is no nature to nature. Meaning, uh, our world and the, the people in it don't have a, a nature, a way that we have been designed, uh, that put together, uh, put placed in a kind of uh, ecosystem, a, a natural order that also communicates how we should live and how we should not live. That is increasingly being denied, that there is no natural law altogether. But here's the thing. They may reject the idea of natural law in theory, but everyone has a conscience, a knowledge of right and wrong. That conscience may be warped, it may be seared, it may be twisted by influencers on social media or by the movies that you watch. Yes. But don't give up. I say this now to you. Don't give up on appealing to the truth that they know but can't deny. That truth points back to God, their creator and ours. That, that's something of a side application. Um, it, it calls for discernment. Um, it calls for, sometimes we work for common ground with even people that are not believers, and yet we understand that ultimately, uh, 
Sometimes we're not going to find that apart from acknowledging the God who made us. That's a side application, but let's get back to Paul's argument. In the final judgment, that conscience will serve as a witness. They may not have had the law. They may not have had the Ten Commandments. They may not have, may not have had a Bible, but in that final judgment, that conscience will serve as a witness. It will accuse them where they did wrong. It may even excuse or defend them where they did right. Those, as we said in this point, those without God's law know enough to do right some of the time. Is that good enough? Is that good enough to pass the judgment? Well, he's, before he gets there, he's going to move on to the Jews, the other side. We talked about the Gentiles, the Jews. If it's, if it's the case that, that uh, those who don't have the law do right some of the time, then those who have the law are in really big trouble if they don't keep it. Verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is part three. We talked about natural law. This is biblical law. Those who know God's law dishonor him when they do wrong. Verse 17, where I just begin reading. Some translations, maybe the one you're looking at, some English translations of the Greek text have, but if you are called a Jew. So the one I'm reading from, ESV, uh, but if you call yourself a Jew. So if you are called by others, if you are calling yourself, what, uh, the, the Greek verb can go either way, but I think this translation, if you call yourself a Jew, fits better because the whole section is about their self-identity, who they think they are. And they're wrong. They're so wrong. Now, can you imagine if, I, if somebody said to you, now, if you call yourself an American, and you're like, hey, hold it right there, buddy. I don't identify as an American. I am an American. And back in Paul's day, somebody could have reacted, wait, call yourself a Jew? Hey, hey, hey. But of course, Paul's point is that they don't act like it. You talk a good game, you're wearing the uniform, you're waving the flag, but you don't back it up. Specifically, on the issue of morality, you are not dependent on the natural law like the Gentiles, uh, some, some sense of conscience that may be uh, warped or twisted or seared. No, you, you have the, the clear biblical law, the law of Moses, the Word of God in Scriptures, and you think that because you have the law in your hands that you know God's will I mean, even, verse 18, you even approve what is excellent. Do you remember the end of chapter 1? Maybe you can see it on the page you have open. The, the way that uh, chapter 1 ends, verse 32, though they, that is sinful humankind, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Verse 18 here in chapter 2, the same word, you 
uh, you Jews, you approve what is excellent. Now, that's a good thing, right? They're not giving approval to the wickedness and those that, that do them. No, you, you approve what is excellent, but that's not enough. This section sounds a lot like the first part of the chapter that we looked at last week, verses 1 through 5. Do you judge others but do the same things? This here is another kind of hypocrisy with a different emphasis on the law. Do you have the law? Are you instructed by the law? Do you consider yourself be able to teach others in the ways of the law? You teach, you preach. Do you teach yourself? Stealing, he mentions, adultery, idolatry, all things forbidden in the Ten Commandments. Uh, of course, verse 22 kind of makes us scratch our heads. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Like, now, we don't have any evidence that you know, Jews were kind of pulling off some kind of heist at the local shrine. Uh, what it may refer to that even as um, the Jews had condemned idol worship and there was no way that they were going to, well, we condemn idolatry, but we have idols. They, they weren't going to do that. But they may have been happy to, you know, do business that profited from pagan worship. We really don't know exactly what he's referring to, but it's obviously he's pointing to some kind of inconsistency in what they say and what they do. But that verse 23 is the dagger. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Now follow what he's saying there. It would be bad enough for him to say, you who boast in the law break the law. That would be hypocrisy. That would be inconsistent. You who boast in the law, break the law. That would be in, uh, lacking integrity. It would be a damning hypocrisy. This is worse. Do you remember the great sin of humankind? Chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And Paul is saying that's not just the Gentiles. Jews, you dishonor God by breaking the law, his law. You boast in yourself, oh, we know, we know. You even boast in the law, you boast in God in the sense, we, but really it's boasting in yourself. We have God, we're the good guys. You boast in yourself, but you bring shame to God. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What a reversal from the the early days of Israel who, by their obedience, should have shown the world how good their God is. I'm going to go back to a passage from Deuteronomy. Uh, Paul here is quoting um, Isaiah, but I think this, this passage that I'm going to uh, read helps us even more. This is from Deuteronomy 4. So, uh, context, this is people of Israel. Moses still the leader. They have gone through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They have they have, of course, left long behind the bondage, the slavery in Egypt. They're about ready to go into the promised land. They're about ready to go from a, a wandering group of nomads to a, a society, a civilization, a nation, a people in their own land, living according to their own laws, ultimately God's laws. What kind of nation, what kind of society, what kind of culture will they be? And Moses says, Deuteronomy 4, beginning with verse 5, Moses says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, 
Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? You following? The law of God, God's people living according to God's ways, his law, would show the world how good God is, but they failed. God's people were meant to bring him glory, not just, not just singing songs in worship services, but in their whole manner of life, in their whole, in their family and community life as a society, as a culture, as a people, nation, showing God is good. And if I know that, I mean, that, that's, that was a specific vision for ancient Israel, but is it not paralleled in the church? Yes, it is. Peter says, 1 Peter 2, but you, speaking to a Jew and Gentile church, in words, God spoke to Israel at Sinai, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A couple of verses later, Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the non-believers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, the day when Christ returns, the day of judgment and salvation. The, the world, look around, the world is blaspheming God well enough on their own. We don't need to give them any more reason. When they look at us and, and they, they look at us and they say, oh, you guys are, are say, oh, the, the biblical values and, and objective truth and, and God and word, the word of God and then you live like that? Who, who needs that God? Who wants that God? And the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of us. But Peter says, no, keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. They might not, they might not praise him now. They might not look at us and say, wow, you're, some, I believe some will, some will say, They've got something I need. And they, might, and they just might be drawn to the God that we serve. Some, I think, according to this verse, some might continue to blame, accuse, resist, persecute. But when Jesus comes back, they'll say, yeah. Yeah, now, now we know. They, they, they were pointing to the truth. God, help us to be the a people that, that don't, bring blasphemy to God by how we live, but bring glory to God even from those who don't now believe by the way we live according to God's word. Now, getting back on track with Paul's argument, when it comes to final judgment, knowing God's law is not enough, neither is the Jewish sign of covenant membership. 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? 
then he who is physically uncircumcised, Gentile, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, Jew, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the final part here. The true mark of God's people. Outward signs are worthless without inward renewal by the Spirit. You can go back to Genesis 17 and you can see uh, where God gave Abraham the sign of the covenant that he was making with Abraham and his entire household and his generations that would follow. Circumcision. Now, it's strange, a strange sign if you think about it, uh, of course. It wouldn't be a a sign uh, like, uh, say, a red dot on the forehead of a woman shows you that she's Hindu or a turban and a beard on a a guy shows that he's a Sikh. Um, Nobody's not to get too graphic, but nobody's seeing the circumcision on a Jewish male. Now, what, what good is that sign? But it was significant in a number of ways. It was, it was a cutting. It was a removing. It was, in some sense, a cleansing that also involved blood. It was a mark on the member that carried the seed of life, the future generations, the future. Circumcision became a simple way of describing who was in and who was out. I mean, if you were a Jew. The uncircumcised were the unclean heathen, the God-forsaken. But Paul claims that circumcision without obedience is the same as uncircumcision. That's radical on its own. But, but then, like, you could use, lose your Jewishness? He goes a step further. The uncircumcised who obeys counts as circumcised. <laughs> like, some, some Gentile is is like, becomes a Jew? Uh, like, how, what? He even pictures final judgment standing before the judge of all the earth and the uncircumcised Gentile who had obeyed the law condemns the circumcised Jew who had disobeyed it. If you're a Jew, a Jew you're like, that's not how that was playing out in my mind. Paul goes further still. You're not a Jew outwardly, physically, by signs like circumcision. And, and you go like, oh, hey, Paul, hold on if you're a Jew, I am physically, objectively related to Abraham. I have the DNA. He says, ultimately, it's not the DNA. Uh, Okay, so I'm following you, Paul. It's, It's the obedience then, whoever obeys the law, Jew or Gentile? No, it's not even that. Verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. The role of the Holy Spirit for the Christian, for the people of God, is a much bigger topic, and we're going to spend a lot more time on it in chapter 8. And I know that, like, uh, you're telling us all this stuff you're going to tell us later. But this is all right here. This is about what serves as the true mark of God's people. What do you need to be the kind of person who passes judgment? How can you come to the end of your life and stand before God, not in guilt, not in shame, not in fear? Now, if you're, like, you're, you're stuck on circumcision and Jew and Gentile, that this is, what does this have to do with me? Listen to what I just said. What do you need to be the kind of person who passes judgment? So how can you come to the end of your life and stand before God, not in guilt, not in shame, not in fear? Having the law? 
Having your own leather-bound Bible? Not, it's, that's not enough. Having the Bible is not enough. Doing the law, well, that's, that's better. And, and in principle, that would work, right? If you did everything right, you'd be fine. Except it doesn't work. In principle, it works. Practically, it doesn't work. You, you might have a conscience that, that, uh, that sometimes says, you know, I, I think I did the right thing there. But you also have a conscience that accuses you, that condemns you, that reminds you that you don't have the power in yourself to do right. You, you may not have been completely immoral. Yeah, you, you might have lived a, a pretty decent life. You might come to, you think, well, yeah, I'll, I'll come to judgment and I'll say, hey, I did the best I could with the knowledge that I had. I, I, you know, I, tr- I was a decent person. I, 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 I did right by my fellow man. Uh, you know, I didn't really, I didn't rob anybody. Um, you know, basically you're saying I, 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 had the, I had the natural law, common sense, a conscience, did my best, should be enough, right? A lot of people think that. Maybe, you, maybe you're not that person. Maybe you're the uh, more uh, fastidious religious type whether, whether a, a person who's attended church all your life, maybe one of the other great religions of the world, or maybe you're more like the, the modern religion, the today's religion, very disciplined and, and studied in matters of personal health and self-care and mindfulness and spirituality. In principle, you could save yourself by keeping the law. You could justify yourself in principle. But practically speaking, you don't have a chance in hell. What you need, I mean, there's so much more to say, but what this passage just gives us a, oh, just gives us a crack to see a little bit of light. What you need is a work of the Spirit on the inside. It's not even, it's not even having the law. It's not even doing the law because doing the law is going to be impossible. You need something. You need God at work on the inside. Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, says that God, one day he will circumcise your hearts, which is a, if you take it too literally, it's not going to make any sense. But, he's, but he, it's, a, it's a cutting away. It is a cleansing that involves blood. It is a mark on your member that shows, that is the, is the place where life is and where the future is. And, it's, and it brings a new, a new sensitivity to the things of God. As Ezekiel says, going from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh because the Spirit of God is in you. How do we get this inward renewal by the Spirit? Ultimately, Paul will explain it's through faith in Christ, through what he has done for us, through his death on the cross. Paul's getting there, but just not yet. Uh, But I want to say to you now, even though we're not getting there into all the explanation of that in the text, if you need that today, if you understand you need that, that you can't, you, you don't want to stand on your record. Folks, we want to help you know Jesus and find the hope that he gives that brings the kind of change that God can work in your life to give you a new center and a new power and a new motivation, he can give you life now and forever. Here's the good news for now. It's not Jews in, Gentiles out. It's not good people in, bad people out. 
in the sense of obedient people and disobedient people. Law, law keepers in, lawbreakers out. Well, it's what's going on here is it's Jew and Gentile, black and white, young and old, man and woman, rich and poor, who have the life of God in them through faith in Jesus. That's the true mark of God's people. Knowing God's law is not enough. You need His Spirit to change you. May God do that. I believe He's done that in so many of you. I pray that you don't leave here without that reality, His life in you. Let's pray.